Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in. Today we are wrapping up our, uh, fi- our series here uh, in the book of Malachi. Unless you're Italian, then it's Malachi, okay, but he's the Italian prophet. But Malachi, the last series, uh, last message in this series, uh, in this series entitled Fresh Faith, about how you and I can freshen up our faith uh, to keep it from growing stale and old and uh, begin to retreat from the things of God. And so today we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my daughter got married, and so it was a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, it was a day kind of like today, weather-wise. It was kind of dreary. It was a little chilly. It was uh, uh, raining a little bit, but it was a wonderful day. Uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful ceremony. We had a beautiful reception, and, and my wife and my daughter planned the whole thing. I tried to interject in those plans, but they wanted nothing to do with my ideas for the ceremony because I said, instead of a wedding cake, why don't we just go to Martin's and get a sheet cake, okay? But they weren't having any of that. But anyways, so all they wanted from me leading up to the wedding is for me to sign checks, okay? Hey, we need a check for this. We need a check for this. So that was my job throughout the whole thing. However, when the day approached, the day of the wedding, we realized that there was a huge oversight on our part. We forgot the plan for one thing. And that is, at the reception, we were going to serve lemonade and water and coffee and tea and hot chocolate and all those things, but we didn't have anybody to serve that for the people. And so I said to my wife, I said, well, don't worry, I'll just run back and forth and I'll make sure everything's filled up and I'll keep doing that so we don't have to worry about it. But my, my brother and my sister-in-law showed up, and my first thing my sister-in-law said when she showed up, she said, hey, what can we do to help? And I said, oh, I got a perfect idea. How about if you guys serve the drinks during the reception? And my sister-in-law is, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And my brother was like, okay. We'll do that. Okay, he wasn't really into it. And so they were serving. They did, a, they did a wonderful job. And I ran into my brother at one point during the reception, and he grabbed me by the arm, and he said, hey, he's my older brother. He said, hey, I didn't know we were invited here to work. And I said, well, you don't have to do it. And then he said to me right after that, he said, how much are you paying us? And I said, all the money's already been spent for this wedding, so... Uh, And as soon as he said that, my sister-in-law slapped him across the face. It was so funny. And uh, I said, it it was, okay? It was my brother. And I said, you know, hit him harder next time. And and so my sister-in-law slapped my brother and then said, we're doing it because we love you guys, and it's an honor to be able to serve in this way. Today in Malachi chapter 3, we're going to see the same two groups of people in their service to God. Now, I don't know if you've ever been served by someone else who someone, out of the kindness of their heart, they gave up their time, they gave up their treasure, they gave up their talents, whatever it was, they gave up something in order to serve you wholeheartedly. It's people like that, right? It's people like that that just make the world a better place. People like my sister-in-law. Then, on the other hand, there's people like my brother. And they serve you expecting something in return. And they want something from you. And it's people like that that sometimes just kind of rub us the wrong way. And as horrible as that is, 
It's even more tragic when people do the same thing with God. There are people who serve God out of, a, out of a thankful heart for all that God has done for them. However, there's other people that I know, people that I know personally, who serve God. They serve in churches and they serve with ulterior motives. They serve hoping that they're going to gain some sort of power, or prestige, or popularity, or praise of men. And they, they, they're serving God for the, with the wrong motivations. And as tragic as that is. And, and I'm going to be honest with you that there have been times in my life where deep down inside I've served God. And if I'm honest, there were times that I was hoping to get something in return. And I don't know if I'm alone in that. Probably I am, but you all are much more spiritual than I am. And so you probably always serve God with the right motivations. But the truth that I want to give you today is this, is that no matter how we serve, that God will observe how we serve. He'll observe how we serve and he'll observe why we serve. You see, God is not so always concerned with the exteriors as much as he's concerned with what's on the interior. And as we've seen throughout the book of Malachi, the, the heart of the problem repeatedly has been the problem of the heart. And these people have just continued to, to, even though they're going through the motions and on the exterior, they seem to be doing all the right things, but inside their hearts are far from him. And so what we're going to see here is two groups of people, a group that serve God with right motivations, a group that serve God with wrong motivations. And in both instances, we're going to see that God will observe why you and I serve. Now, as I said, this wraps up our series. I always like to do a little review just to bring you up to speed if you weren't here or like most people, you just forgot everything we said the last couple of weeks. Uh, so in week number one, we shared with you that we are to give God our best, not what is left. And there in Malachi chapter one, the people were offering, they were giving offerings to God, but they were giving, you know, second rate offerings. They were lambs that had broken legs and lambs that were blind. And, and God said, hey, I expect better than that from you. I, after all, I'm your father. I'm your king. Uh, you wouldn't even give these things to your earthly rulers. Why are you giving them to me? And then we saw last week, maybe there was a little tension there as uh, we were talking about a very sensitive issue. And we saw there that we are to give God some because he owns it all. And, and how God wants us to tithe. And, and I would say tithing is not really giving. Tithing is returning to God what he has given to us. And so just challenging you to, to test God in the tithe and to give him a tenth of all that he has given to you. And so today we're going to see in Malachi chapter 3 that God will observe why we serve. This all comes from our memory verse, which is uh, Psalm chapter 51 verse 17, which you all have memorized, right? Is it on the screen here? Okay, well, let's read it together then. You know, I'll help you out. Let's read it together. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God's really concerned about the condition of our hearts. And that's what we're going to see here in Malachi chapter 3. These two groups, a group that was faithful, a group that was unfaithful, a group that was obedient, a group that was disobedient, a group that had the right motivations, a group that had the wrong motivations. And so let's jump into it. Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in the 13th verse. And the first group that we see here is a group that had a selfish arrogance of faithless service. Their service was faithless, and it was based upon selfish arrogance. And, and though they were doing the right things, their motives have, had gone awry, and they started doing these things for the wrong reasons. And so we begin in verse 13, 
with God, as we've seen throughout the entirety of Malachi, God giving a harsh rebuke to his people for their attitudes and their actions. It says in verse 13, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Now, it's interesting that he said their words were not arrogant to him. Their words were arrogant against him. They were not taught, as we're going to see, they weren't talking to God. They were talking to each other about God. And God was overhearing this conversation between these people. And he said, your words that you've been speaking to one another have been arrogant against me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be around arrogant people and uh, you know, if, you, if you've ever been around an arrogant person, right? Uh, arrogance is that inflated self-worth. Like they, they, they think they're more important than they actually are. And that's the word God uses here. He says, your words, in your, in your words, you have inflated your self-worth. You've made yourself more important than you actually are. And what I find fascinating is that word for arrogance in the Hebrew is the same word that was used back in Exodus to refer to Pharaoh. If you remember the story of Moses and Pharaoh and the people were in bondage to the Egyptians and God raised up Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses goes, he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And at first Pharaoh was like, "Eh, okay. But then it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And repeatedly through Exodus at that point, Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's the same exact word that's translated here as arrogance. Pharaoh had an arrogant heart before God and he hardened his heart towards the things of God. And here God uses the same word to describe his own people. Imagine, imagine being a Jew of this day and God has equated you to the same status as Pharaoh. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. And just like we've seen throughout Malachi, anytime God rebuked his people in Malachi, they always asked the question. It's basically the same question that they ask over and over again. He said, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. And then they said, yet you say, What have we spoken against you? Basically, the question that the people ask every time God rebukes them, basically is, okay, God, if that's what you're saying, prove it. Uh, We want to see the evidence that you've compiled against us. We want you to lay out your case to show us how our words have been arrogant against you. Because maybe they're thinking, hey, I mean, we've done everything you've asked us to do. We've not said anything arrogant to you, so prove it to us. And God was more than willing to oblige them because in verse number 14, he shows them, he lays out the evidence of how their words have been arrogant against him. He said in verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. Now, again, I want to point out here, if you look at that, they were serving God, they were obeying God. They were walking in mourning. They were worshiping God. They were going through all the external motions. They were showing up for church on Sunday. They were coming to Bible study. They were going to Sunday school. They were singing the songs. They were praying the prayers. They were doing it all. But inside, they were saying, this is is useless. This is vain. Where's our cut in this? What profit do we have? 
And their hearts were arrogant. Their hearts were hardened. Even though they were doing all the right things. Basically, again, what they're saying here is that it is pointless. It's pointless to serve God. And the reason why they thought it was pointless is because look at what they ask. What profit is it for us? What do we gain out of this? What benefit do we receive as a result of being God's people? What result do we get from going to church? What result do we get from, from giving our money? What result do we get from sharing our faith? Like, what's in it for us, God? And their motivations were selfish. When I lived in Erie, uh, once a month, our church would buy dozens of loaves of bread and we would go to the uh, public housing complex. It was about a half mile from our church. And we would go there and we would knock on doors Saturday morning and ask people, hey, you want white bread or wheat bread? And we'd give out free loaves of bread to the people who lived there. It was amazing, first of all, how much people just appreciated receiving a free loaf of bread. The second thing that amazed me is what people show up to wearing at the door on Saturday morning, okay? So it really took me aback, some of those people. So we, we would do this every, every first Saturday of every month. And then one month, a lady from our church, she showed up for the first time. She had never done it before. She said, hey, everybody was saying how great this was to do this. So she said, I thought I would come and help too. And I said, hey, it's great to have you here. And so that morning, you know, there was about 15, 20 of us. We went there, gave out all the bread, and uh, we, we headed back to the church. And when we got back there, I said to her, I said, hey, how did you like that today? And she looked at me, just serious. And she said, I'm never doing this again. And I thought, because I'd seen some pretty strange things, you know, what people were wearing when they would answer the door, and I thought maybe, you know, somebody was just wearing a towel or something. I had no idea. And so I said, I said to her, I said, what happened? You don't want to do this again. And these were her words to me. She said, everybody told me I'd feel good doing this. And I did it, and I did not get any of the warm, fuzzy feelings. So I'm not doing it again. Now, I don't want to be too harsh on her. But from my perspective, it seemed as though she was only doing it to get something out of it. And that's exactly what we're reading about here in Malachi chapter 3. That lady could have said, it is vain to give out bread in the name of God. What profit is, do I have from doing this? It's pointless. It's useless. It's vain because I'm not getting anything out of it. We need to be careful when we start to think that way. But they didn't just think serving God was pointless, but as we're going to see in the next verse, they saw it profitable to actually not serve God. Because if you look in num verse number 15, so now, now we call the arrogant blessed, not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Have you ever thought about that? You look at the people around you and you're like, that person's not a Christian. How, how come they have all the money? I mean, these people are the people who, you know, they gathered at Bob Evans. Bob Evans is closed around here, whatever. They, they, you know, in Bellwood, I used Irvin's on Main, okay? So anyways, they go to the restaurant. And they're sitting in a restaurant with one another, and they're looking at all the other people in the restaurant. <coughs> and they say, you know, look at that family right there. They never go to church. But their business just seems to continue to expand. That lady over there, she's an atheist, and she's never had a sick day in her life. 
Those couple guys that sit in that table right there, like when I go to work, they scoff at me and ridicule me because of my faith. But every time there's a promotion, those are the guys who always get the promotion. What about us? We've, we've served you, God. We've gone to church. We've done everything that you've asked us to do. Why are we not seeing the same benefits that they're seeing? And they're saying, it seems as though it's more profitable for us just to leave all the God stuff, all the religion stuff, all the Jesus stuff behind and just live like everyone else. And God was saying, your words are arrogant against me. And even in all that, even though they were doing all the right things, God will observe why, not how, but why you and I serve. So what's your motivation for serving? your motivation for being here? Is it to get something from God? Because there's another way. And that's what we see in the next verses here. We see the next group of people who are the exact opposite. And what we see here is the selfless affection of faithful service. And these, this group is completely different. They, they are 180 degree different degree different than the, other, than the previous group. And it starts in verse number 16, and it said, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The word then there is to be a literary, a literary traffic sign, get you to stop and think for a moment. You had this group that were saying, hey, it's pointless to serve God. It's profitable not to serve God. Then, stop for a moment. Then, there was another group. This was a group who feared the Lord. Now, you know this, and so I'm going to insult your intelligence. But that word fear, of course, doesn't mean that they were coward in fear. They were afraid of what God would do to them. They were afraid. They had a, the word is really literally translated reverential or awe. But they had this reverential fear of what they could possibly do to hurt God. Not that God would hurt them, but they were afraid that in their disobedience or in their selfishness that somehow they would violate God's love and God's law and God's standard in their life. And so they feared, they feared that they would do that. And when you have a reverential awe of God, the next thing that took place here, it just happens naturally. When you have a reverential awe of God, you speak to other people about it. It's just natural. Now, in the text, we don't know what they spoke about. They may have talked talk to each other about the mercies of God or the goodness of God or uh, how God had been gracious to them or how God had protected them. We don't know. But the, there's, this other group, they feared God and they spoke to one another and, and they were talking about the Lord. And then it tells us further in verse 16, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who esteem his name. Just as he heard the previous group, he heard the faithful group. And it says that he gave attention. That word there in the Hebrew means to prick up the ears. If you, if you have a dog, not a cat. Okay, cats are dumb. Okay. Lauren took a picture of me holding a cat in Tunisia, and the people in Bellwood thought that was amazing. Okay, anyways, but I hate cats. Okay, but a dog, you know, a dog, when it hears a noise, right, its, it's ears perk up, perk up, and it, it starts to, it, it hears a sound. That's the same word used here of God, that when he heard that these faithful people were speaking to one another, he, his ears pricked up, 
And he, he heard it. He gave attention to it and then wrote a book of remembrance about them. Now, that book of remembrance happened during Malachi's day in which a king, if somebody were to serve him in a special way or do something kind for him, the king would write down the person's name and then wrote, write down what that person did. And you're familiar with this if you've ever read the book of Esther. If you've read the book of Esther, there's a man in there by the name of Mordecai. And Mordecai heard about a plot about killing the king. And so Mordecai went and he told the king, saved the king's life. And the king wrote his name down in a book of remembrance. Further on, when the people were trying to kill Mordecai, it just so happened that one night the king was unable to sleep. It just so happened that he asked a servant to say, hey, get one of those books of remembrance. It just so happened that the book of remembrance that the servant grabbed was the book that Mordecai's name was written in. It just so happened that the book opened where Mordecai's name was written. And it just so happened that the servant said, hey, Mordecai, I did this for you. It just so happened that the king wanted to remember and, uh, what Mordecai had done for him and saved Mordecai's life. It's a long story, but it's an amazing story. But anyways, that's exactly what happened in Esther. He had, the king had a book of remembrance. And God says this, as his people, when we serve him and worship him and love him with the right attitude, he writes a book of remembrance. Even though there's times in this life when it appears as though he has forgotten. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who'd come to faith in Christ and they were being persecuted and they were thinking, ah, this isn't worth it. I'm gonna, they were thinking about maybe abandoning Christianity, going back to Judaism. The Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 don't do that. Jesus is better than anything you could ever go back to. Hebrews chapter six, verse 10, in light of that, wrote these words. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. He said, God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget when his faithful people serve out of selfless affection. And then he went on. This next verse, when I studied it, just overwhelmed me with the truth and the power that it contains. Listen to what it says. Verse number 17, he said, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. I did some in-depth word studies on these in the Hebrew language. He said, they will be mine. On that day, I prepare my own possession." In the Hebrew, it literally means a valuable keepsake. Something that you wouldn't put into a bank, you wouldn't bury it in the ground, you would keep it somewhere safe in your house where it was close to you because it had special meaning and it had special value to you. He says that's how he sees us and he says I will spare them. That just simply means that he's going to guard it closely. He's going to keep his eye on it. Listen. Believer, follower of Christ, don't miss the power of this promise. You are his special keepsake that he watches over closely. 
and he will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves them. And then chapter 3 closes with these words. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Now these words harken back to verse 15 when they said, hey, we can't see the difference between those who serve you and those who don't serve you. Those who don't serve you seem to be blessed. Those who serve you seem to not be blessed. We can't tell the difference. And God says, oh, pump the brakes there, brother. Because a day is coming when it will be obvious to everyone between those who serve me and those who don't serve me. Those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. Those who are obedient and those who are uh, disobedient. He said the day is coming when you will distinguish, you will be able to distinguish between the two. So, because all of that is true, what should you and I do? I want to encourage you today to serve God faithfully. Serve God faithfully. God will observe why you serve, so serve God faithfully. There's so many opportunities for you to serve. So many opportunities for you to serve in the church. If you're not sure how you can serve in the church, see Pastor Nathaniel. I'm sure he's got some ways in which you can serve in the church. Serve God faithfully. You can serve God by serving the people that you work with, by serving the people that you live with, by serving the people that you live around. God has shaped you uniquely with spiritual gifts and passions and abilities and personalities and experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to serve him in a special way. Serve God faithfully. And if you're not sure what to do, just jump in and do something. You know, I've had people in church and they say, hey, I love kids. I would love to serve with kids. They do it two weeks and they say, I found out I don't love kids. Okay. I don't want to serve kids. It's okay. Well, then we'll find something else for you. Okay. It's not like you're locked in there for the rest of your life, but just find a place and serve God faithfully. Because the truth is, listen, truth is God sees it all. He sees every time you show up. He sees every time that you faithfully prepare a lesson for the kids on Sunday morning. He sees every single dollar you drop in to the little box. He sees the times that you are by yourself and you open the scriptures and you say, God, just speak to me. He sees you when you're discipling your children. He sees you when you're investing your life in a coworker. He sees you when you write the little notes or the little text messages of encouragement to another brother or sister in Christ. He sees every time, every time you look at somebody eye to eye and you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He sees it all. So serve him faithfully. God will observe how you serve, so serve God faithfully. So just as I wrap up here, I mean, the logical question is to ask all of you, which group do you belong in? Do you belong in a group that says, yeah, I'm going to church and I'm trying to obey God and, you know, I'm doing these things, but your heart is far from them and you're, you're doing it with the wrong motivations? Are you in the second group who says, you know, I am, I'm coming to church and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live the Christian life and I'm 
reading the scriptures and I'm spending time in prayer, not so that God will do anything for me, but listen, I do it because of what God has already done for me. That's the difference. We live on this side of the cross and we do these things not so that we can get something from God. It's because God has already done something for us. There at the cross, when he died to pay the penalty for my sins and your sins, when he laid in a tomb on the third day, when he rose from the dead to give us everlasting life, if we would just simply believe, that is what motivates us. That is why we're here today. That is why I give. That is why I share my faith. That is why I obey, because of everything he has done for me. First Corinthians tells us exactly that. For the love of Christ compels us because we thus judge that if one died for all then all died and we who live should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again on our behalf God will observe why you serve so serve God faithfully in you you will be glad that you did. Every other Friday, I get in my car and I drive two hours to Western Pennsylvania to my dad's house. Uh, if you're not aware, my mom died three plus years ago and so my dad's all by himself, he's lonely. Um, and so every time I go, you know, to see him and I, and I go to help him do some stuff around the farm. And so last time I was there, I put some, shing replaced some shingles on his roof and cleaned out his chimney, cut some firewood for him, ended up cutting my finger. No, you're supposed to say, oh. Okay, so let's just try that again, all right? Oh, okay, thank you, thank you, okay. And so I, I was doing all that stuff for him, and every time, every time I go to see my dad, when I'm leaving, after I do all these things for him, he says, hey, how much money can I give you? I said, Dad, I don't want any money. He said, no, you drive all the way here, gas isn't cheap, you do all this work, you cut your finger this week. He said, how much money can I give you? And I said, I don't want any of your money. He said, why won't you take any of my money? I mean, we have this conversation every other week. And I say to him, Dad, when I think about all that you've done for me for the last 40 plus years, it's the least I can do. When you and I as a believer in Christ think about all that God has done for us, the least we can do is serve him. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the ways in which it speaks to us. Thank you for the practicality of it. I pray for all of us here. I pray, first of all, if no one has trusted you as their Savior, that they would seek me out or one of the elders that we could share with them how they can have their sins forgiven, be a child of the King. I pray for those of us as believers, and I pray that we would just contemplate and consider all that you have done for us so that we can serve you not to get anything from you, but because you've already done something for us. And so I pray that you would work in us, use us for the strengthening and the expansion of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.